millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The biggest breaking news stories and outspoken opinion. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Joining me for the conversation all this morning is the late editor at the I newspaper. That's Benjamin Butterworth. Good morning to you, Benjamin. Good morning, Julia. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, we're going to be talking to Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary, in just about uh, 10 minutes' time, actually, uh, about an uh, announcement today from the government in terms of summer school for children. Now, this is a big issue, obviously, in terms of the amount of lessons that children have lost uh, over uh, this uh, this recent period, uh, well, not recent period, pretty much most of the last year. Big concerns that a lot of kids, particularly disadvantaged children, uh, schools that already were underachieving, uh, are getting the, the fewest lessons. Um, £700 million is what uh, is going to be to be announced today uh, to help with summer school, particularly secondary school children and children leaving primary school year six. Um, but I have to say, do, do we think that's uh, even touching the sides of the amount of money that needs to be spent to uh, improve things? I mean, they certainly needed to increase the amount. I know that when I was on your programme last week, uh, an expert in the field said that there's just £80 per pupil in yeah. Wales, for example, which is which is next to nothing. And I think what this amount of money will be for is for some face-to-face schooling during what is normally the summer holidays. And I think that's quite a constructive idea because a lot of pupils have had Uh, lots of time off during what should be term time and so for me although I'm sure no teenager wants this particularly it makes sense to carry on through the summer for them to catch up on their education because these years are so incredibly precious so I think it's a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction I do worry we'll be putting this to the education secretary whether it is enough money to really uh, tackle this issue Um, but but also whether actually if it's not compulsory which I'm sure it won't be um, the very children who need it the most are the ones who are least likely to do it uh, because the par- ones who've got the parents who are least engaged will be the, the, the kids who miss out on it the most. Yeah, that's true. You know, young people that are the hardest to get to in normal times and, you know, have their own problems or aren't naturally interested in school. Is this really going to catch those people or are they just going to continue to fall through the net? And that's not just helping them, you know, have face to face time in school, which in normal times is the absolute basic. It's also about, you know, people that have behavioural problems that have gone off the rails, you know, just think how many young people that go off the rails are just so far out of the distance at the moment and how long yeah. it's going to take for teachers to get them back. I, I worry we're not going to get a whole tranche of those students back. That's a genuine worry. Let's also talk about vaccine passports. 
again and again and again. Um, you know, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, everybody said, no, there won't be vaccine passports. No, why would you need them? Not necessary. No, not an issue. Um, I mean, the equivalent to some sort of version of an ID card. Boris Johnson has, has uh, when he was a journalist, written about how if anyone, any official demands his pass, his his ID card, you know, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, you know, produce it. Um, and yet we're now having a review on vaccine passports. Now, um, as we were just discussing with James Max, I can see a point where having uh, an official document that says, yes, I have had the vaccine or yes, I have had a COVID test, um, whether they combine the two or not uh, to prove negative, um, that that may well be needed to travel internationally. I had to have a negative COVID test to go uh, on holiday at Christmas. If another country imposes that, not much we can do about it as far as I'm concerned. That's their that's their prerogative. But the talk about having a domestic uh, passport effectively, and they, they're going to call it obviously a COVID status certificate. Um, I've got some very big issues with, quite apart from the exemptions but, uh, that people will have for medical reasons, but also some people just may not want to have the vaccine. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as that doesn't stop the rest of us from going about our lawful business, I'm not quite sure why it's anyone else's concern. I mean, would you prefer to go to, say, a restaurant or a theatre where everyone had produced evidence or their exemption certificate to having a vaccine? Uh, I mean, my view is once I've had the vaccine, what do I care? I mean, yes, I would. And actually, I've been speaking to businesses quite a bit in recent weeks in hospitality and theatre about what they think of the idea. And I have to say, without exception, uh, they want this because it makes them feel safer. But you gave the example of theatres. I spoke to Nika Burns, who owns six West End theatres last night. And she said, if you can have an app on your phone which says you've had the passport, then that will make it so much easier to get people in and out of the theatre safely and only have to test a handful of people that haven't yet had their full vaccinations uh, and that's how they would get into theatres and so I think there are a lot of businesses that would do mass events that would find a vaccine passport much easier for them to be able to process people safely. And is that processing people or would that be, I mean again it just, that depends whether or not we're still social distancing or we're still doing everything else, I mean if we've got very low prevalence of the virus as the earliest data from both AstraZeneca and Pfizer would suggest not only people not being seriously ill, not being hospitalised, not dying of, of, the, of the virus, I mean again the vast majority of people don't even in the highest age brackets they don't have any of those things but even the highest risk people over 70 and people who have vulnerable health uh, problems they they, all, they also will be uh, having that protection once we've got that and we've got um re I mean, realistically we'll have the r number down given the evidence that has come out so far about your ability to catch the virus and transmit the virus that that is all looking very encouraging that that data that we've had so far would have to be so wrong for this not to be the case. Once the vast majority of people in this country are vaccinated, and yes, we may see lower rates of people getting vaccinated as we come down the age brackets for, for various different reasons. People simply don't feel they're at risk uh, and the like. But um, but but at that point, when, when to all intents and purposes, COVID can be treated like flu, um, why on earth because because of the because of the lack of risk of, of dying of the disease why on earth would we need to have a vaccine passport for covid when we don't have one for flu or we don't have one for we do, we don't expect people to sort of have tests for every other infectious disease before they go in the theater I mean, you know, the truth is, if you've had the vaccine, then you're a lot less likely to be carrying it because it looks like it's not as transmissible. And so I think that would make venues feel a lot safer. You know, I heard uh, one businessman put it to me that it was like, you know, if you went to bed with someone, you'd take certain precautions, that it'd be equivalent to that being in close contact with other people, such as you are in a bar or nightclub. But isn't that, that's the key difference, isn't it? Um, uh, choosing to take precautions when you go, when you go to bed with someone is your person 
personal choice and their personal choice. That's a that's a voluntary decision between two people. There's a difference between basically, to all intents and purposes, making a vaccine mandatory uh, on the basis that you ain't going to be able to go and eat anywhere, go into a particular shop, uh, go to the theatre, go to the cinema, go to a sports event unless you've had the vaccine. I mean, then you're looking at a mandatory health treatment. Now, we don't even require children to have MMR uh, to protect them from measles and mumps and rubella to go into school, even though actually loaded. I mean, certainly where I live in North London, all the the stupid mums who think that Google tells them more about uh, about the risks of MMR or not uh, than than their GP. I mean, don't get their kids vaccinated. They are not only putting their kid at risk, also putting other children at risk. We don't require that. Why would we require it of this one disease? Because one thing that is also evident from what the Prime Minister said in his roadmap is that we're going to have to live with COVID in the community, certainly for this year, when on the best timetable, and it's a pretty amazing timetable, uh, there will still be people who haven't had their second vaccination who wish to have it by September, October. So it's going to be in widespread circulation for about 12 months, and maybe we'll probably have to live with it forever to some minor degree. And so while we've got that process, having people that have been vaccinated unlikely to carry it, who can't get sick, I think is a sensible precaution that businesses would be entitled to take. And it doesn't mean that, you know, every bar or, you know, gym in the country has to say that you have to have this passport Mm. to get in. But I think private businesses have a right to say this, especially because, you know, they might have have staff affected. What if if a a bar said, um, Benjamin, uh, we we, we think you might be at risk. We need to know whether you're HIV positive or negative. Now, I realise that, you know, HIV is passed in a different way from an infectious disease. There actually has to be close bodily contact. However, I don't see that there's any ethical difference in that. I don't expect to have to divulge my medical, uh, personal medical information in order to go to a restaurant or, or, or to go to a coffee shop. But you know what? If I was in a situation where my HIV status was relevant to the to how close I was going to be with a person, it would be a perfectly acceptable question to ask. And oh, if you're a, in que- a, if you're in a, a question as opposed to mandatory. I mean that you know that's what this is about. And if you're in a bar, you're going to be clo- or a restaurant or a gym. You're probably going to be close enough to other people that there would be a risk of you passing this virus on. And that's why but I think it's not if a they've been vaccinated. Well, but precisely, and if everyone's been vaccinated, no, but it's no but it's problem, other people have been vaccinated, it's none of their business whether you have. I, I, again, I just think I just think we get into really strong ethical issues there. Um, let's talk also uh, now about Tiger Woods. Now I know you're 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 probably the least interested person in sport in the world, but even <laughs> you, even you, must know mm. about a golf, the one with the little ball, uh, and b uh, one of the biggest stars ever in golf, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, who has been uh, often in the front pages, not just for his stellar sporting ability, but also what's been happening off the golf course as well. But um, just I mean, horrific news yesterday about this uh, car crash uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, he had a, uh, in the in the morning yesterday in Los Angeles. Uh, he is now reported to be awake and responsive following surgery on serious multiple leg injuries after he had to be extricated from the wreck by firefighters and paramedics uh, after his car crash. He's believed to have suffered significant orthopedic injuries to his lower right leg and ankle. Uh, they have been stabilised now with screws and pins. Um, uh, what do you make of this story? I mean, a, a star for so many years in this particular sport and has had uh, some interesting as I say off off the golf course uh, stories as well but um but this could be uh, terribly it could be the end of his sporting career 
I mean, it, it sounds utterly horrifying. You know, I saw one report in a newspaper that said that he, uh, they'd said he's lucky to be alive. Mm-hmm. So it must have been a very serious crash. We know that the place where he crashed has frequently has problems like this. It's evidently a dangerous stretch of road in Los Angeles. So, you know, we couldn't really speculate about about what led to this accident. Yeah. But certainly if his leg and his ankle has been shattered and they're talking about him being responsive, then that suggests that it's the sort of seriousness that could mean that, you know, his golfing career might be concluded by this. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.